0: Hello captives and captive friends and welcome to episode 59 of the Global Captive Podcast, supported by Legacy Specialists R&Q and hosted by me, Richard Kutcher. Firstly, thank you so much for all the great feedback and amazing listener numbers on our previous episode, GCP 58, featuring R&Q's Paul Korver and an extended captive owner interview with Andreas Brugel and Tobias Winkler of DelVag, the captive owned by Lufthansa. It is on track uh, to be one of our most successful episodes to date. So if you missed it or do need to catch up, I do recommend doing so. Another piece of recommended listening is the new Rising Edge DNO podcast that Global Captive Media is now producing. Regular listeners will have heard Philippe Giroux, CEO of the new boutique underwriting agency, on GCP fifty-three earlier this year, and DNO, of course, has been a hot topic within the hard market and on this pod as captive owners and. Consultants debate whether it is a suitable line for captives or not. The new podcast is co-hosted by myself and Owen Dacey, head of claims at Rising Edge, and features expert DNO lawyers from around the world focusing on the key exposures and risk mitigation techniques. As with GCP, you can find the Rising Edge DNO podcast on any podcast app. Just give it a search, and there is a link to the pods site in the episode show notes as well. On to GCP 59, however, and shortly we'll be joined by London Capital's Shadrach Quaza and Jack Smith to provide our latest quarterly investment updates. But I am delighted, first of all, to welcome back guest co-host Ellen Charnley, President of Marsh Captive Solutions for her and your appearance on the pod. Ellen, we, we always look forward to having you on at this time of year. H- how are things where you are in Vegas and have you been able to start seeing clients in person again or, or attended any events?
1: Yes, well thanks Richard for having me back. Uh, yeah, things are slowly I think uh, but surely starting to get back to some sense of normality. I actually uh, somewhat attended a, a conference last week actually here in, in Vegas in SureTech Connect. Um, um, and actually had a, a first client meeting, a couple of client meetings, and actually a first client dinner, which was quite wonderful, in fact. So that was, I think, a first nod to to the future, and, and hopefully things getting back to some sense of what we what we've been longing for. So yeah, I think I think we're heading in the right direction.
0: Good stuff. Yeah, and I'm absolutely, I've, I've said this on a few of the last episodes of the pod, but I'm very keen to get out there and see yourself and, and others in, in the States, uh, I presume early uh, 2022. Ellen, as you know, I'm I'm always monitoring new captive license activity, and it's fair to say I'm I'm always seeing Marsh appear in, in as a as manager of many of those new, new formations. We know there's so many new formations all around the world at the moment. From your perspective, how are formation numbers looking so far in, in 2021 in comparison to to what was already a record-breaking 2020.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it was a record-breaking 2020. Um, I'm pleased to say that we're um, we're going at a similar pace in, in 2021. Just hot off the press through August 2021, we formed approximately 80 captives, which is basically the same rate as we had in 2020. Great. So we're expecting another you know record-breaking year. I don't see that pace falling off. So it'd be something similar, probably to um, to what we did in 2020, which is really quite. Ex- extraordinary. extraordinary really if you think about
0: it yeah and how much of a challenge has it been keeping up with that pace keeping up with that demand (laughs) and and the number of inquiries from clients i'm sure you welcome that that demand but uh how hard is it to keep up keep up the pace and, and keep responding
1: yeah, it's been it's been tough to be honest with you. Um, there's only so many of us, and, and demand is high. But yeah, of course we we welcome it, and it's been fabulous after so many uh, years of, of of moderate growth, I would say. But we've um, we've added some new colleagues this year, so that's been fantastic and, and very refreshing and we're still adding colleagues so so that certainly helped and we've um we've also started to develop um some new tools uh, technology wise uh, so that more to come on that um in the not too distant future so that's helping our colleagues so i think with the combination of those two things we've been able to sort of keep up with the demand but uh, yeah it's been tough so let let's keep that demand coming because we love it
0: yeah, no, we, we all love it for sure. I mean, Ellen, it's all, it's always a great time to have you on on the pod. Um, and the reason we do that, we've made this an annual fiction now for the last three years, uh, only only once in person so far, but we'll, we'll get back to that, is that this is the time of year the, the Marsh Captive Solutions Annual Captive Landscape Report is published, and that was published in September this year. As ever, and I say this every year, a, a really great piece of work that I always read immediately uh, and will reference back to throughout the next 12 months and i recommend everyone involved in the captive industry to, to get a copy of that of course there is mounting evidence as we already knew supporting what's happening with regards to that growth that we just talked about of new captives also the growth of existing captives into higher retentions and to new lines and there's loads of good data in the report on that but what's there anything in this year's research which uh, surprised you or, or you found particularly intriguing
1: yeah, well, thank you for your, your kind words about the report. We have certainly tried to um, to make it um, insightful, and over the years we've we've certainly um, pared it down. It used to be um, the size of a big doorstop years, and years yeah, ago. Yeah. We've <laughs> ser- we certainly reduced the size, so it's a, it's a simple read for, for folks to uh, take to bed and, and be and be done with pretty quickly. But yeah, I mean, it's simply just the sheer growth across everywhere, all lines, all industries, all domiciles, all markets, all sizes. There wasn't one little piece of anything that didn't grow. And I think that that was just outstanding. We haven't seen that level of growth or I haven't seen that level of growth in the industry in my entire captive experience. And I've been in this industry since the mid 90s. So that it it was really really quite extraordinary. So I think when we started to boil it down, the the hardest challenge we had was keeping it to a small number of pages and not creating that doorstop again, because we had just had so much to to say and so, so much to unpack. I think perhaps oddly, the one thing I thought that we would see more of would be a little bit more interest in, in pandemic risk. Yeah. And, and we didn't really see that, which was quite interesting. We, saw, we, we sort of teased it out a little bit last year and we, we did some, some numbers and we started to investigate how many captors were actually riding some form of pandemic risk. And we did have some. But we thought there was going to be a little bit of momentum into having more captives writing some form of pandemic risk this year, or in 2020 rather. And, and we didn't really see an uptick in that. And um, I was quite a little, a little bit surprised about that. Um, I think people have prioritised other other uses of the captive and, and other and other spends, uh, other insurance spends. So um, I, I'm not entirely sure that that is going to continue. So I was a little bit surprised about that.
0: Yeah, no, that, that is a surprise actually, and it's something that I hadn't really picked up on from from reading, because as you said. There was a, a significant section of the report dedicated to that in the in the twenty twenty report, looking back on on two thousand nineteen. And, and the report shows, however, the, the captive premium in your book, as you mentioned, has increased over the past four years. And particularly interesting, I thought, with the correlation really tracking the global insurance composite pricing change in that period as well. And, and that same chart shows global insurance prices have started to drop somewhat in twenty twenty one. We've heard how the market does seem to be cooling down a little bit in terms of in terms of premium pricing do you expect captive premium to remain at the kind of current levels uh, if premium pricing is stabilizing and does continue to drop or or once captives enter new lines or they do increase retentions do they usually tend to stay there despite the commercial market pricing changes
1: I think we'll see a little bit of stabilization. I don't think we'll see too much of a drop. Um, we tend to see more moderation and stabilization. This level of growth is is really unprecedented. We haven't really seen that in, in the market, um, and I don't think we'll see we'll see a, a corresponding drop if we move into a softer market and when the market sort of goes into a different cycle. The reason for that is because the value drivers tend to change, and we're already starting to see different value drivers. So, so a challenging commercial market is just one. Driver that causes captive formation or captive growth, albeit very significant. But there are other value drivers, you hear me talk about this all the time, Richard, there are other value drivers that help with captive growth and that are sometimes um, very, very important for captive owners. And, and they're very specific sometimes for, for captive owners. And I think we'll start to see more of that as we progress through the market cycles. You know, One of the drivers that is going to become more and more important is, is ESG. And we're already seeing that. And that is almost completely unrelated to the market, pr- market pricing. Yeah. And so I think that driver didn't exist 10 years ago. And there'll be other drivers that pop up that help keep captives top of mind for organizations. And we'll see that. So I think what will happen is that the market cycles will change, but captive growth and captive premium will likely stabilize when the market softens, but probably won't drop off.
0: Excellent. Well, we do often hear that once premium finds its way into a captive, it's usually harder for it to come out, particularly if it is or has been a successful line of business. We will discuss the report further with Ellen a little bit later, including uh, non traditional lines, driving new formations, and booming sell business as well. But now let's get our third quarter investment update from London the Capital. This time, Shadrach Kwaza, Executive Director, is joined by Portfolio Manager Jack Jack Smith, to discuss the macroeconomic highlights in the previous three months, inflation and stagnation, and what captive investors should be considering in the next quarter. Thank you, Jack, for joining us today. Um, we've got a few
2: questions to cover, um, the key one being, what are the key highlights um, from a macroeconomic perspective for this last quarter? happy to uh, to be here. Thanks for having me on. So it's been a, a busy few months really. Um, we're still obviously navigating the, the post-COVID world after lockdowns. Economies are reacting as pent-up demand is released and the strains and, and longer-term effects of, of the shutdowns that we went through Um, are being brought to light now and the impacts of those scenes. So most importantly, I think, is the realisation now that peak growth is probably behind us. Um, And that's the case across most advanced economies. So in the US, for example, um, after contracting 3.4% last year, GDP is now expected to grow around 5.5% this year, but every quarter is a lower growth than than the the previous. And next year, growth is set to fall down to around 4% and then tail off towards the end of the year back towards 2%, which is in line with the long-term trend. Um, Alongside that, we've seen persistently high inflation prints um, across most of the globe and that's led central banks to start tightening or thinking about tightening monetary policy. And then to add to that mix, we've obviously had the supply constraints uh, alongside increased demand and that's led to severe moves in energy markets, especially natural gas, where I'm sure you've seen um, prices have tripled over the last three months. We've also seen some uh, some news out of China surrounding policy and regulation, and that's had a significant effect on, on many asset prices. And in the US, the Treasury has had to contend with the, the debt ceiling limit, which has added a, a, another aspect of volatility. Um, so it's been very busy, uh, and volatility has really come back after the, the summer lull, and what I think has been a fairly easy run for, for assets in the initial Um, opening up um, after lockdown. So there's there's a lot more to to take stock of now. Um, In terms of fixed income, as I mentioned, a bit of a summer lull. Uh, Yields, again, have started to move higher. Um, I think we're around 130 at the start of the summer. They're now up to kind of the 160 handle. Um, And with that, obviously, a lot of bonds have have repriced, um, and especially the higher beta assets Um, The ones that behaved a, a little bit more like equities have certainly had some more volatility come back to the forefront. One of the things that stuck out from what you said was inflation. You mentioned inflation. We're reading a lot about inflation and even stagflation. What stagflation, what's inflation and what impact that might have for captives? Sure. So so stagflation is a word that uh, I'm sure many of you have been uh, hearing recently. It's been bandied around and and used very freely. It's actually a a term that was coined in the 60s um, to really describe the period of stagnating economies combined with persistently high inflation. Um, And that led to wage price spirals and and high unemployment through the 1970s. And really, I don't think it it describes the current set of circumstances that we're going through. Um, Firstly, if you look at unemployment, currently that is very low across advanced economies and it's still falling. And that's not something that corresponds to a stagnant economy. In fact, whilst we look at GDP, it is slowing, um, but it's still way above long term trend and is likely to stay so until At least the second half of next year and secondly whilst inflation prints are high we've seen that uh, you know across the UK Europe and the US we still expect these to moderate probably from from Q1 next year start to fall as supply chains start to straighten out and and demand normalizes Uh, I I think what has surprised most money managers and and us included is the the persistence of these high inflation prints Um, we We still expect these to be transitory, but the elevated prices are likely to to stick around a bit longer than first expected. If we look at the semiconductor shortage, for example, that is likely to last potentially into the second half of 2022. And obviously that has ripple through effects for for many supply chains. The good thing is that growth is expected to normalise, but with it, I think inflation will as well. And that's because currently the the high prints we're seeing in inflation are firstly, yes, from supply chain disruptions due to shutdowns in in manufacturing plants and, and so on in Asia, but also due to very strong demand for goods from developed market economies that were really in part due to the stimulus that we saw in the US and, and the UK in the form of furlough payments and stimulus checks and now these have rolled off consumers will start to feel the pinch a little bit more and demand for these supply constrained goods that we've seen so you know things like um, new and, and used cars, furniture, home electronics, demand is really going to tail off for those items and therefore we do expect inflation over the course of the next few months to start to normalise. The The risk here is that the expectations of inflation start to move higher and that could really be a a kind of self-fulfilling problem where investors start to fear higher inflation in the future and therefore bring forward larger purchases, thus causing an inflationary spike now. And you have to remember that's against a backdrop of, of what is currently very easy monetary policy. And already high realized inflation. So that's something that we're keeping an eye on and, and we use the you know a number of mar- market metrics to, to monitor inflation's expectations of inflation. but currently our base case is that inflation will normalize alongside growth um, and therefore we, d- we do not expect a, a stagflationary environment. Having spoken about all that and and with all that information in mind, what do you think captive investors should be considering um, or prioritising for the next sort of few months? I mean, from fixed income, especially, which is the area I work on and obviously forms a a large part of of captive's portfolios due to, um, you know, asset and liability matching. We have had a bit of a repricing of risk, as I mentioned, yields have moved higher and, and the higher beta parts of the market. So, Uh, We look at 81 COCOs and euro hybrid securities, which have traditionally offered a a bit more of a a higher yield, have starting to sell off and become, uh, you know, they behave very similar to equities in that they are slightly more volatile. And so what we're really monitoring now is how the market prices future inflation and how that affects asset prices of those types of securities which are held in a lot of captive uh, portfolios. And key to that also is looking at how the central banks across the globe react to inflation. And we're starting to see a bit of a bifurcation between different central banks. So if we look at the Fed, they've been very consistent with their messaging and that they view inflation as transitory. And uh, you know, the, these uh, factors that uh, we talk about, um, supply constrained goods and the demand for those will start to tail off over the next few months. However, over in the UK, if we look at the Bank of England, they're a lot more hawkish, which means they're actually potentially looking at raising rates this year. And currently, the market is pricing in two rate rises next year. And and so obviously, the, the, these feed through into asset prices and have the potential to to scare investors into worrying a little bit more about inflation if the central bank is on a path that looks quite aggressive in terms of the, of the, of the rate hike schedule. And so that's another aspect we're monitoring. And it's very difficult for central banks at the moment. they kind of stuck between a, a rock and a hard place and that, yes, they want to get in front of the inflationary pressure, in front of the curve on one hand. But on the other hand, they don't want to raise rates or tighten monetary policy too much against a backdrop of normalising growth and against a backdrop of, of consumers that are likely to feel a bit more of a squeeze on, um, on their, their kind of household budgets going forward. So as mentioned, our base case is that inflation and growth should normalise. And so we would expect monetary policy to normalise with that. The one thing we do need to be aware of is monetary policy, perhaps going too far. um, And our, our, our base case at the moment is that we're okay. But the central banks, you know, like the Bank of England, we need to keep an eye on or, you know, to be aware of any kind of central bank missteps, which could in fact have a, um, a recessionary impact on, on
0: the economy. The Global Captive podcast is supported by RNQ, the award winning provider of exit solutions for legacy liabilities and companies in runoff. RQ can provide a wide range of solutions and has A-rated paper across the United States and Europe. LPTs, novations, business transfers and acquisition are all frequently used and tailored to the seller's requirement whether in runoff or fully active but seeking greater efficiency. If you have legacy, you should talk to RNQ. well welcome back to gcp 59 where i am joined by ellen charnley from marsh captive solutions ellen we also had a client of yours on the podcast earlier in the year with with mike parish uh the client was dna genetics they formed a bermuda captive to to write DNO, and we know that they're not the only one to be driven uh, by DNO to set up a captive in, in the last eighteen months. Facebook also set up a captive in December twenty twenty specifically for employee benefits, and have now gone on to write other lines as well. Is is this a relatively new trend? Do you think in seeing one line, perhaps a non traditional line, be the, the driving factor for for new captive formations?
1: Yeah, I think I think we we all would refer to traditional captive lines as property and casualty, um, and I think you're right to, and you're correct to say that sometimes now growth in captive formation uh, and captive uh, premium is, is in non-traditional lines um, that's really taken off DNO, you know cyber, medical stop loss, for, for example, are three big drivers that we've seen growth in this year or last year. And I think we wouldn't have seen that sort of five to 10 years ago. So I, I do think that companies are forming captives where these quote unquote non-traditional lines may may be a driver, and maybe it's actually time for us to <laughs> to reconsider the definition of what yeah. traditional or non-traditional is now, because we're all sort of still doing that, but perhaps our our report next year won't won't define it that way.
0: And just just lastly, Ellen, one of the standout charts in the reports is is one showing cells being the fastest growing type of risk financing vehicle, uh, registering 54. Three percent year-on-year growth in 2020. We had Lorraine Stack uh, on GCP at the end of last year, 2020, explaining how sales have been turned to, in some instances, again to address things like DNO side A risks. What other use cases are you seeing, which are really kind of driving this demand for sales?
1: Yeah, and we've had a similar demand for cell growth this year too, it's similar similar level um, on track again for a record number of cell formation. Uh, DNO is certainly one of those risks for for cell, cell formation that makes a lot of sense, but we're seeing it across all sorts of lines, property, for example, auto, medical stop loss, some of the other risks like credit life. But one one other, other area of growth that we're seeing, generally speaking, for cells is sort of of MGU MGA type cells, uh, where they take a piece of their their book and they want to um, form a cell for their, for their for their own business. So a lot of that type of formation is happening. Um, so I, th- I think it's across all lines, to be honest with you. Generally speaking, it's uh, as as you probably know, it's slightly quicker and potentially cheaper mechanism uh, to get to get into the captive arena and uh, in a challenged market. That we're in right now across many lines, many organizations are seeing it as a, as a faster mechanism to, to get some skin in the game. So um, I don't see the cell growth tapering off anytime soon.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Alan. you mentioned the MGA and MGU usage as well, because it's, it's, it's tended to be an area that us, myself and us on the Global Captive podcast have almost... Shied away from because I don't see it as traditional captive business. But you're right; it is increasingly they are increasingly turning to to sell structures to utilize to take their own skill in the game as well. It probably is an area that we need to start getting a bit more familiar with on the global captive podcast. I will add that to my list for uh, for 2022. And we, we, we of course did have another one of your clients on podcast earlier this year, Canon USA, talking about using a sell captive in in DC for for third party risk, which was a great episode as well. But that is all we have time for in GCP 59. Thank you to Shadrach Kwaza and Jack Smith of London and Capital for our latest investments update. And Ellen Charnley, President of Marsh Captive Solutions. Ellen, it's been an absolute pleasure having you back onto the Global Captive podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Always happy to be here. Thanks, Richard.
0: Stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives.